Welcome to the How of Car Washing, the podcast that helps the car wash owner, operator, and manager address the challenges and opportunities associated with building and running automated car washes in today's fast-paced environment. And now, here are your hosts, David Begin and Henry Lopez. Welcome to this episode. Of, this is Henry Lopez. My guest today is Adam Anderson. Adam, welcome to the show. Henry, thanks for having me. My pleasure to have you. Before I get started, though, I want to say a thanks to one of our longtime listeners, Derek in Orlando. Derek, thanks for being a listener of the How of Business. On to Adam. Adam is a longtime small business owner and one of the leading authorities on small business cybersecurity. He's a serial entrepreneur and author and founder of Element Security Group, a cybersecurity and education firm focused on the unique problems of small business owners like us. Uh, he's got over 20 years of experience in cybersecurity and more than a dozen years as a small business owner himself. So he can really talk to business owners without having to use tech speak, which is particularly useful on this topic of cybercrime. Uh, Adam's previous books, Small Business Cybersecurity and Built to Survive, have helped to position him as the leading expert in the field. And his new book, The Monster Within, takes that knowledge to the next level, helping businesses around the world combat cybercrime. Adam works one-on-one uh, -on -one with his with business owners, that is, uh, to develop cybersecurity strategic plans. But he doesn't have time to work with everybody one-on-one -on -one these days. So to help a much larger audience, including us, he writes books and offers self-paced online education courses through his website. And then we have the privilege of having him on the show today. Adam lives in Greenville, South Carolina with his family. And so in today's episode, he's going to share with us his interesting journey to how he got to where he is today. He has, uh, as I mentioned, started and just recently even sold a company. So he's been a business owner for a long time. And then we're going to dive into cybersecurity. I'm excited to have Adam on. We have not had this topic before on the show, approaching almost 200 episodes. So I thought it was a particularly interesting topic. So once again, Adam Anderson, welcome to the show. Well, thank you. I, I I tell you what, after hearing that intro, I'm interested in me too. <laughs> yeah, you're you're listening. <laughs> I'm like, whoa, right on, guy. <laughs> you know, this is such a huge topic, right, for all of us as small business owners, and it's something that everybody is exposed to, as we'll get into. And and again, you, you talk about so much that uh, small business owners, we think this doesn't affect us, but in fact, we are the target. Uh, but before we get into that, I just want to learn about your background. You went to the University of Utah, but I don't know what you studied there. I uh, took 96 credit hours worth of downhill skiing, whitewater kayaking, wilderness survival, snowshoe camping, intermediate rock climbing, and then eventually dropped out. Nice. Uh, nice. Yeah. So it was a one. I went on a music scholarship and realized that this was work. And I walked in and said, you know, there are other people who deserve this better. Why don't you take this scholarship away from me? <laughs> so so uh, what yeah. did you go do after you dropped out then? Well, I had, my uh, my mother was a teacher, and back in the day, Apple gave computers to all these teachers, and so I had always been on computers, and I'm like, well, I guess I'll do something with computers. So I went and got this thing called the MCSE, the Microsoft Certified Systems Engineer, mm -hmm. and this was back in 1998, and I got a gig in 1999 working on this thing called the Y2K bug. Uh, that's where uh, I. I find it interesting. I have to explain what the Y2K bug is sometimes. Uh, <laughs> that makes me feel a little older. But that's when the banking systems and a lot of our computers only had two digits in the date. So when 2000 was going to roll around, it was going to put it back to 1900 and uh, break a lot of systems. So yeah. I basically saved the world as much, as, uh, as much credit as I deserve uh, for my efforts with the Y2K bug. And I just kept going with, uh, with, uh, computers from that point forward. Did you, when you started doing that, were you working for yourself or did you work for someone else? I worked for somebody else. I was 20 years old, 19 years old, something like that. And I really had no idea how the world worked. And I really started off with a small consulting firm. Um, but it was interesting at 20 years old, I was paying more in taxes than my mother was making after 35 years in teaching. And mm -hmm. so 
I was thinking, I am so much smarter than my parents. It wasn't, <laughs> it wasn't until maybe I was 26 that my parents began, uh, began getting smart again. And yeah. So did your, what did your mom think about you dropping out of college? Oh, um, if you ask my mom to compare my brother and I, she will maybe talk for about an hour about the wonderful accomplishments and that my brother has done. And then when she turns to me, she'll smile and put a hand on my knee and say, you're, you're special. So <laughs> they, they knew that uh, as long as I had a plan and I always had a plan, it's all right, well, this isn't working. So I'm going to do this. They were okay with it. Um, yeah. I, I went and you know, I was like, look, I know I need tickets in this world at this age. I don't have a track record, so I need certifications. And rather than get a degree, I'll go the technical college way, a technical college route, and pick up these Microsoft certifications. And so, you know, she's got a doctorate, two masters, and two bachelors. My mother, my father's got two PhDs, two masters, and a uh, two bachelors. My brother's got a master's and a bachelor's, and. Uh, I have a really wonderful high school diploma from from Panama <laughs> City Beach, Florida. So yeah, I can I can appreciate that. Listeners know that I I didn't go to college either and went to a similarly went to a technical school. We're talking eighties now to become a computer programmer, and I too helped save the world from the Y two K crisis and sold a heck of a lot of software. But so, do you have shiny object syndrome? Are you always looking for the next thing? Yeah, I, I am, and it's taken me a long time to learn um, when to to value that in myself and when to put that on the shelf. So I give myself permission to get super excited about things, but I have set up mechanisms in my life that let me understand what shiny object I should uh, um, go after. Because one of my big problems is. Look, focus and repeatable behaviors over time deliver results. And for me, I would start something. I'm a quick activator, maximizer. I love thinking big, but I, I took a strength finders test. And like my last strength or my biggest weakness is uh, discipline and follow through. So, right. uh, yeah, the, the idea that I have gifts and that's what really got me here, but I also have weaknesses. And if I don't have an eye on those uh, shiny objects and, you know, honor them for what they are, but also be aware of also they are the distractions going to stop me from um, producing the results I'm looking for. How, how do you mitigate the, the, the follow through challenge? A lot of people have this challenge, including me to an extent, my partner and co-host David in particularly has that challenge. And so as, as you're alluding to, I just want to get a little bit more. We develop systems, methods, mm -hmm. ways that we mitigate that. How do you do that? Well, I do a lot of systems and methods, but then I also love me enough to break my own rules. So uh, typically it doesn't work really well unless I find a partner who is an executor. So yeah. when I do a new um, venture or I'm starting a new project, the first thing I'm looking for is somebody who shares my interest for it, but also is detail oriented and is a get things done. And, and I'm lucky yeah. enough that in this stage of my career, typically I'm the guy who's putting up the capital and then somebody else has got the subject matter expertise and the uh, hustle. To that end, do you prefer working in partnership or do you prefer working by yourself? I am a social butterfly. I require other human beings to uh, smile. So, uh, yeah, I've, I like a team. I like having somebody else who's as excited about the idea as I am because I'll feed off of their excitement. They'll feed off of my excitement. And to me, that's what the world's all about. Making money all by yourself is pretty boring. It's a much more interesting challenge to see if we can all make some money. Yeah, I agree with you. All right. So I think in 2005, you started your first firm, which was Palmetto Software Group. Is that correct? That is correct. We were, uh, I was working for IBM and, uh, that, by the way, that stands for I've been moved. Um, and, <laughs> and, yes. So the, uh, just finishing up some department of defense work for the air force, which we were subcontracted through Lockheed Martin. So I didn't have the security clearances. So I told the Lockheed Martin guy what to do and told the air force officer guy what to do, who then told the airman on the keyboard what to do. This is how tax dollars are spent. So. Mm -hmm. I uh, had an 18-hour layover in Montgomery, Alabama, and I 
don't know if you've been in that airport. But I don't when I think so, but they all blur together, you know. Yeah, it goes. Do yourself a favor, don't go. Don't. <laughs> Just, it was, I'm sure it's very nice now, but back in 2005, it was pretty much designed to be the worst airport ever. And so I spent 18 hours sitting there and thought to myself, you know what? I'm never going to do this again for somebody else. If I'm going to sacrifice my time and not be home, uh, I'm going to own this. And that was kind of the catalyst that started me looking. And it turns out when you're ready and you take that step mentally, all of a sudden things start falling into place. So uh, I, a major customer who was local said, hey, I'm paying IBM a whole bunch of money. How about I pay you less and you start your own firm? And I said, well, I have this thing called a conflict of interest. I need to reach out to my manager. But remember, IBM is, I've been moved. So I've only had this manager for like three days. I said, hey, I'm thinking about doing this. And he said, oh, that's great. I've always wanted to start my own business. Good luck. I said, okay, <laughs> permission acquired. I'm off. <laughs> so I spent every six months knowing we were about to go out of business because I only had six-month contracts. And uh, I tell some of the MBA kids I mentor, whatever you do, don't cash out your 401k to fund the beginning of a, a company. So I, of course, that's exactly what I did uh, to cover that cash flow gap. Um, right, let me make sure I understand that. So did you keep the IBM job or did you I did not. leave IBM? Okay, yeah, you left I, IBM, started this, cash in the 401k. I'm particularly uh, interested in this because I have this conversation often as well. I, I come from the belief that you know, you, you figure it out money wise when you really are determined about achieving something, mm -hmm. but similar to you now, I'm much more cautious when I advise others. Why is that? Why, why do we give that word of caution yet? We did it. I, I think it's because we're wiser after being stupid. <laughs> so <laughs> there's more often than not that that doesn't work. And we understand, in my opinion, we understand what the value of some of these risk mitigation things are, like the 401k and how do you handle the money. Um, there were probably other ways I could have gone about it, but at that age, nobody could tell me what to do. I was going to do it my way and I was going to move forward. And, you know, maybe that's exactly what you need mentally to get through some of this, but... right. You know, yeah, you've been and that's my point is that sometimes as we get older and wiser, we also get better at uh, all the reasons why it'll fail or why it won't work versus when we're young and stupid, we just, we just move forward. We just do it. Absolutely. Yeah. I'd rather be lucky okay. than right. Yeah. No doubt. All right. So, um, and then now you've developed other businesses since then you've got another business, but this is the one you just recently sold, correct? That's correct. I've had it for 13 years and uh, I fired myself from the company four years ago and put a CEO in place and had the, uh, the systems there. And um, we, I had an event occur where one of our largest customers wanted to work with a global company, not a US-based company. And so we had to merge with a uh, Dutch kind of frenemy company and you know, we're sitting there, we're, we're having some, some bourbon and I'm talking to the owner of the Dutch company, Rob. And I was like, look, Rob, we can't do a merger because there can only be one dad in this company. And, uh, I think it should be you, your company's four times as big as mine. It'd be easier for you to acquire me. Why don't we go ahead and do that? And even with friendly, uh, relations and everybody on the same page, it still took a year for the deal to get done. Wow. Okay, so that's now done, and so your current business is what? My current business is Element Security Group. Um, I did a whole bunch of work with uh, Fortune 500s trying to understand their risk from supply chain, meaning the vendors who provide services to those big Fortune 500s. Uh, the whole target hack where the bad guys got in through the air conditioning and stole right. uh, all the, the credit card information really got eyes opened. And, mm -hmm. you know, what I found is that the real problem with cybersecurity at this point is the small business owner who is in that supply chain four or five tiers down from where the Lockheed Martins of the world are doing their thing. Uh, and the thing that these small businesses need is not to spend money on cybersecurity. It's just to kind of modify how they think about cybersecurity, learn how to talk about cybersecurity, and then get some training for their people. 
and so that's that's really what I'm passionate about at this point is how can I help other small business owners? Because, you know, it's so hard what we do to be taken out of the game for something as silly as, you know, a ransomware attack or you're not compliant with what the uh, larger customer you're working with wants you to be compliant with is such a shame. I mean, sales is hard. I would rather spend all my time doing sales marketing and delivering my product and zero time worrying about cybersecurity. Um, and so that's my goal is how do we make this a no-brainer, easy kind of system? And that's what Element Security Group is providing is the methodology that I've built over, I guess, the last four years of working with small businesses and trying to help them succeed in supply chains. Yeah, that's fantastic. So so let's dive into that. Now, a couple of topics at a high level to start with. You touched on one. You talk about, uh, as you say, quote, cybercrime isn't a computer science problem. It's a behavioral science one. And mm-hmm. so let's start there and dive in a little bit more into why it's about behaviors and not so much about the technology. Yeah. So people have habits and habits are great. If you have good habits, they're what moves you along. Uh, you're like showing up to the gym, et cetera, et cetera. Good habits are wonderful, but bad habits put you at risk because you're going to keep doing these. And we found that you can, through behavior modification, change habits, but without addressing the root belief behind the habits, you just go right back to them. So belief leads to emotion, which leads to behavior and behavior over time leads to habits. And 75% of our employees exhibit risky cyber secure, cyber crime behaviors and habits. So let's talk about, give me a couple examples of those as we start unraveling this. What, what are some of those habits that we, that you commonly see in small businesses that are risky? So they're rooted in some, um, well, let me, let me jump into that. Yeah. So some really easy ones that you, you're going to probably recognize are, Hey, don't click on that link in that email. Hey, uh, you've won a, a, a Starbucks gift card. Click here to download the PDF, right? phishing attacks, uh, malware attacks, all coming through the email. We are very, very susceptible to uh, email attacks. But also, these attacks are coming through text messages, voice messages. So there's this uh, four primary ways they're going to come at you. Um, Phishing, that's through email. Vishing, that is through a voice call. I don't know if you've ever received a call saying the IRS is is going to come after you and the police are on their way. Uh, text messing, text messages, which is smishing. And by the way, I did not name any of these. If I would have named these, they would have been so much better. We would have got a marketing person involved. Um, and then uh, the last is uh, from social media. And I cannot remember what that is called, but it's basically social engineering. And so the awareness of your employees on how social engineering works allows them to reduce the risk of those things. Um, So that's the idea here is when our beliefs are we're safe and I don't have to worry about anything, then we're very susceptible to uh, social engineering. Yeah. So let's break that down because you talk about this and I think that's, that's where you're going here is these myths that we have as small business owner. The first one being, I'm not important. No one's looking for me. So, so talk to me about that myth. Yes. Uh, you know, so the, the myth is I'm not important and no one's looking for me. I'm just the little guy. I don't have anything uh, uh, interesting. Uh, but there's good news, especially for uh, those folks out there who have low self-esteem. You are exactly <laughs> what the cyber, secu- uh, cyber criminals are looking for, right? So they are not after intellectual property anymore. They are not after really interesting uh, data that they can sell. What they're after is your money. And the primary way they're going to do this is they're going to disrupt your business until you give them what they want. Over 70% of cyber attacks are directed towards small business at this point. It's because they have the largest amount of money with the least amount of protections. It's very, very expensive to try to break into companies in the Fortune 500 or even the Fortune 1000. It is super easy to direct attention to a small business without ever having to um, really target them. And, and what I mean by that is picture picture this. This uh 
a hacker in his natural habitat, uh, fly fishing in a river, right? So hmm. I like this imagery because the hacker in this case is a fly, fly fisherman. And the dude's got to hike into the mountains. So he's got to be intentional. He's got to plan his attack. He's in the river. He's got specialized equipment with specialized techniques. And I've tried fly fishing and I think it's witchcraft. So I think it's very uh, appropriate to have a hacker have this fishing pole. And when he's going after that one fish with a particular lure and a particular kind of bait, all the other fish are safe. The new way that's happening is more like uh, a trawler pulling a net. So small business is just a fish in the ocean and there's a huge net, which is the internet that's just pulling everybody in. Um, so they aren't necessarily looking for you, but they're looking for where you are, which is if you're connected to the internet and their automation and their software is going to come at you. And so those, you've touched on so many things there that have changed that expose us. We are one of many that are our target. We are on the internet. Um, they know that we, we are susceptible. Um, it's automated now, these attacks to a big extent, mm -hmm. right? So it's, again, they, they've got the computer behind them doing a lot of this for them. Um, so that that's why we're exposed. And like you said, we, we don't have the safeguard in place, safeguards in place that large organizations may have. Furthermore, it rarely brings or cripples a large organization, but it can definitely and often does cripple a small business like mine. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Be, uh, one of my buddies has a manufacturing um, plant up in Ohio and a bit of ransomware hit his controller. Uh, that was running his line and kept him down for, I think, two weeks. The line wouldn't work. And he tried to pay the ransomware with Bitcoin, but first he had to figure out what a Bitcoin was. And then he bought the Bitcoin and then he paid the ransom, which, by the way, never pay the ransom. If you pay the ransom, chances are your stuff won't get decrypted because they're really good at breaking your things. They're not good at fixing them. Mm -hmm. And you get on a list of people who pay uh, ransomware. And you will then have your name sold to somebody else and you will be hit again. So he restored from backup, but it just took a long time. And for him being down for almost a week, I think it was, a little over a week, he had serious impact to his business. Um, I'm not in manufacturing, but when I say to other manufacturers, oh, yeah, his line was down for seven days. They got this yeah. panic look in their face. Sure. Yeah, no, it's it, it, it's huge. So it does it mostly fall into two categories, ransomware and then also getting my password to execute a financial transaction, that that type of category. I don't know what the right word is for it. Is it one of those two things typically? Yeah, I would say it's three things. It's um, disrupting your business in some way and then forcing mm -hmm. you to pay. What be it be ransomware or be it denial of service, whatever form that takes. So I'm going to disrupt you and hold you hostage. Second is I'm going to impersonate someone else you trust so that you will then voluntarily give me money. Like uh, mm -hmm. uh, a, a really common tactic is saying, so I'm Adam Anderson. I'm the CEO. I sent uh, and one of my uh, my CFO gets an email from me. That's Adam at um, ElementSecurityGroup.com. And hey, why don't you wire that in for, uh, that $75,000 to this account for me real quick? But it's not at elementsecuritygroup.com. They've changed the uh, E to a three or they've done something and they spoofed my domain name and the guys actually sell it. So I, I've, I've bumped into controllers who have sent uh, over $50,000 on a wire to other people. So the first one is um, we're going to disrupt you and hold you ransom. The second is we're going to impersonate. And the third is we're going to hijack your stuff. And that's what you're talking about with I'm grabbing your username and password. I'm going to get into your, your machines. Um, one of my lawyer buddies, he had his point of sales password um, compromised. They weren't able to access the credit cards that were stored there, but they could send a bill on those credit cards and redirect where those funds went. So the bad guys charged all of his customers $10,000 on their credit card and sent them to throw away debit cards. Amazing. This episode of the How of Car Washing is sponsored by 
Focused Car Wash Solutions. Focused Car Wash Solutions is your complete guide to having a successful business in the car wash industry. Whether you are a new investor or a seasoned operator looking to make improvements, the experienced team at Focus can help you every step of the way. For more information, please go to FocusedCarWash.com. All right, so a couple things here tactically, and then we'll bring it back up. On the random where one tip is never pay, right? So we'll come back <laughs> never to <that>. pay. <laughs> Never pay. Um, on the impersonate, the way that I've put in measures to try to avoid that is having procedures, a process that would never allow that to be typical way we do business. In other words, we would never disperse anything based on an email. There's another process. There's a check. There's two signatures. There's, you know, whatever the process might be internally to try to avoid that. Is that one of the ways we can avoid that scam? Yeah. So you you are touching on the actual truth about cybersecurity. So you've set a policy that says we are not going to do this. Then you set procedures that um, if this happens, here are the checks we're going to go through. Here's how we're going to verify. So policy follows by procedure and then cybersecurity steps in and it is the technology you put in place to enforce your procedures. So you make it so that people can't deviate from your procedures with cybersecurity. That's to me what cybersecurity is all about, putting automated technology around processes that keep your business safe. Mm-hmm. That third part, I'm, I'm not quite familiar with. So give me an example of cybersecurity that would prevent me from doing this. What are we talking about there? So this gets into a, a realm called governance. This is where I have monitoring. So yep. let, me, let me back up a little sure. bit. There are five pillars for cybersecurity brought to us by your tax dollars back in 2013. And thank you very much for that. The, uh, the National Institute of Standard and Technologies, or NIST, if you want to sound fancy at dinner parties, <laughs> created a cybersecurity framework, and it's in five pillars. The first one is identify your important stuff. That's the processes, procedures, where's my money, where's the data, that kind of stuff. Protect your important stuff. That's all the technologies you deliver to, uh, to enforce those things. Detect if someone's messing with your important stuff, that's where we're getting into, hey, are they following your procedures? Uh, is somebody doing something different in your environment they shouldn't be doing? Mm-hmm. Then we get into uh, how do I respond when someone's messing with my important stuff? And then how do I recover when you're messing with my important stuff? So these five pillars are what cybersecurity is really all about. And only maybe two of them, protect and detect, have anything to do with spending money on technology. Everything else is boring processes and procedures and business systems. Mm-hmm. Okay, good, good. Thanks for clarifying that. All right, going back to the myths, I think we've touched on, there's three that you usually talk about. You know, I'm not important and no one is looking for me. We talked about that one. I don't have mm-hmm. anything anyone would want. We've talked about that. You do because you've got money in bank accounts and other things. Uh, mm-hmm. I can't stop them even if I wanted to. I think we've touched <laughs> on that one, but but that's simply not true, right? Yeah, it's super depressing, right? Yeah. What, what, do we, what do we do with cybersecurity? We typically go out there and we scare people to death. Mm-hmm. And then we're just like, well, now that you're really scared, you should probably buy a whole bunch of stuff, right? <laughs> and And that's just not the way. I mean, if you buy out of fear then you're buying the illusion of security to make yourself feel better. And if you buy out of compliance, like someone telling you, hey, you can't work with me unless you have this stuff, like say PCI, for example, if you take credit cards, if you're PCI compliant, you are only protecting the credit card industry, not you. Mm-hmm. So this, there's nothing I can do about it. It turns out that it, there was another time where we had this uh, word infection, and it was back when we first started doing surgeries. And people would die because doctors would put their hands into people that were dirty and they would die from the infection. And the solution was washing your hands, right? Super hard. Uh, But that's just the same with cybersecurity. If you practice good cyber hygiene, you can, with little or no cost, protect yourself from 99.9% of all the stuff that's out there. 
Good. Well said. Um, Okay. You touched on it, but I want to talk a little bit more about what do I do? What should I do if I get hacked, ransomware, whatever? We know we don't pay. What's Mm -hmm. the first thing I should try to do or do? Let's hope that you've got a cybersecurity insurance policy. So I would say if you don't have one of those, if you get nothing else from our talk today, go out and buy a cybersecurity insurance policy because this cybersecurity insurance policy costs near nothing right now. And they typically come with a disaster recovery team. So uh, the biggest problem that folks have is after you're hacked, you typically have no idea who to call, right? And uh, number one on your list should be your cybersecurity insurance policy representative. And that person will then get the FBI involved and will get the uh, local police involved, will pull in a uh, white hat hacker who will go in and do forensic investigation to find out what's going on, provide a PR person to help you craft a message to your customers and vendors, and a lawyer to help you understand what your liability is. I think for my company, we were three million in revenue. I was dealing with username and passwords of five uh, Fortune five hundreds, and my policy costs like twenty five hundred bucks. Yeah, and it came with all that. Uh, so, if you get hit, the first thing you do is you call your cybersecurity insurance agent. If you do not have that, you call your local FBI rep, and uh, and you take it from there. But here, well, I I can't say it strong enough. Uh, ounce of prevention here. Um, mm-hmm. Even if you're lucky enough to never have something happen that you have to trigger that thing. You know, I've paid more in E&O insurance in case one of my employees slipped at a customer site. This is so cheap and it is so valuable. Um, I just, I just can't recommend it strong enough. Okay. Okay. Good. Yeah. That's, that's critical. All right. Related to that, you talk a lot about the other way we can start mitigating some of this is shifting to cloud-based type services. So explain that to me and your thoughts on that. Right. So um, it still shocks me when people are using email on their computers, right? Uh, The whole idea here is you are not super qualified to protect yourself. The vast majority of us, including myself, don't have the skill set or the attention to detail to do a full-time job defending your laptop or defending your computer. What my suggestion is, is make your laptop or computer obsolete and move as many services such as email to a cloud provider. Such a, So I use Google, I use Microsoft, um, and I keep almost nothing important on my laptop. Matter of fact, my laptop could be physically damaged, stolen, or hijacked by ransomware, and I would be sad because I like my laptop, but I could immediately go buy a new laptop or boot up another computer, log into Google, and have access to everything. Mm-hmm. Um, the the downside is now if these big vendors get hacked, right. you, will, you have no control. But here's the, here's the punchline. They are so much better at it than you. So it's okay. And then, and when you have to call your customers and say, Ooh, sorry, you know, all those documents um, that I've been storing for you have been hacked and, and now people see them, but you're able to explain how it was Google's fault and not your fault. That changes the game because cybersecurity is about lowering liability. It's about keeping your business alive. It's not about being 100% protected. Well, um, and that also applies, I think, to back office services like QuickBooks and, or other financial products yes, and using those on the cloud as opposed to on a PC locally. Yeah. And so I say move as much as you possibly can to the cloud. Um, but that does provide a risk. And we talked about it earlier, which is now my username and password for these things are right. golden, right? Yep. Yep. So what you do for that is you make sure you're using something called two-factor authentication. Um, Two-factor authentication. The first factor is a username and password. The second factor is maybe a code that you have to type in that's randomly generated. I don't know if uh, you you remember the RSA tokens that would randomly generate numbers. Yeah, we still have uh, some of those. I mean, I... I still had one for E-Trade, but more and more it's going to an app that gives you that randomly generated number, right? 
Yeah, and now it's even easier. When I log into Google, it sends my phone a message and says, are you trying to log in? And I hit yes. So with Google, you can set that to always be the case for authentication? Mm-hmm. And you can do that with Microsoft for your login. I'm not, I don't believe so, but I might be wrong about no, that. No, each software package has its own variety of two-factor authentication. You can spend some money to do something called single sign-on, but I do not suggest that. It really gets complicated and it requires a, a full-time person to kind of manage that. Um, but this is what makes, this is where you have to decide which vendors are you going to work with when you're shopping for an online entity to do business with one of the things that needs to be on your spreadsheet is does it have strong two-factor authentication and if the answer is no regardless of how many other um, bells and whistles it has you really need to consider is it worth the cyber risk right Okay, good. I had a thought in my head and it escaped as you were saying that, which is all, <laughs> this is all great stuff. And I know for some of our listeners, we're getting a little technical, but but bear with us here. This stuff is important. It came back to me. Uh, a virtual private network and using that for me to connect, is that something you recommend or is necessary or not necessary? I say it's necessary. So I use it all the time. So I, I really, this hit home for me. I, I sent some of my, my nerds off to Vegas to a, a, a convention called Takedown Con. And they came back with these new fancy iPad 2s, right? That's just how long ago it was. And they're like, oh, Adam, you want to sh- want me to show you how I can hack your, your Facebook session? I was like, no, you give me those iPads right now. Shame <laughs> on you. And what they would do is they would just sit on open public networks, like maybe you connect it to Starbucks, maybe you're on a a city's Wi-Fi, and they would be able to hijack your sessions and replace security tokens and assume your identity on their iPads. So how do you defeat this? No matter where I'm at, I always connect using a VPN. And you, these are very cheap. I think uh, m- most Microsoft products come with them built in. I think most Apple products come with them built in. You just have to be intentional and use them. Yeah, I think that's a great tip. All right. The other tactic that we used to take, this was a while ago now when, when again, for example, something like QuickBooks wasn't available to me online. But for some reason, I still might want to have that on my side of the firewall and my PC, mm-hmm. a lot of business owners are just not going to give that up, I understand. One of the rules we used to have is that that PC that we used for QuickBooks, we did not use for anything else. It did not check email. It did not go to the internet. Um, although it was connected to the network, and perhaps we were just as exposed there, but that was one of the ways, that was one of our procedures to minimize someone getting onto that machine that we didn't want them to. What was I being foolish there because they could have gotten in the back way or what do you think about no, no, that no. approach? That's, that's fantastic, right? So uh, again, when you change a business process to remove risk, you just made it so you didn't spend money on technology. And right. I love that, right? And so that business process is fantastic because you are probably also patching that computer and keeping everything up to date. And 99% of all hacks and all stuff out there is old. So as long as you keep patching your machines, you are going to be pretty safe. And so uh, there was a a rash of ransomware that spread called WannaCry, I think earlier this year, late last year. And it took advantage of unpatched Microsoft products. Hmm. And all you had to do was be up to date on your patching and you would have um, been immune to it. And so the idea that you just had automatic updates turned on and you had your QuickBooks uh, on a computer that no one touched other than to do financials, that's the best cyber security you probably could have done. And I would suggest that for anybody who cannot remove a software suite and put it uh, or, or a business process and put it in the cloud, you're going to be forced to keep something local. And if you do it, Set it up so that it's safe. Set it up that you've got backups and that you've got uh, automatic patching and you're probably going to be pretty safe. Yeah. Okay, good. Thanks for clarifying. And again, the way I looked at it is a heck of a lot cheaper to buy a second PC for emails yes. and other things than to deal with somebody hacking or, or 
putting me under ransom. I want to come back to the point you made about the automatic updates. You know, I personally have a problem with the way Windows does it now where it automatically reboots my machine. And so it it bothers me so much that I turn that off. And so I know I'm exposing myself in that regard. But so what do you say to somebody like me who just is so incensed <laughs> by it just deciding to reboot whenever it wants to? Well, and you, and you also have probably been in the industry that long enough that you know not every single patch is a fix. Sometimes it's a break, sure. and so uh, to where where we're at now, though, um, I'll, I've configured my machine that it will automatically download and install the patches and will reboot at two a.m. Okay. So you can go in and you can configure that stuff now, depending on the version of your operating system. And you can do this for Apple products, Linux, all these things now have a way to schedule the, uh, the patching. And, uh, but I'll, I'll tell you, I was in the middle of creating my PowerPoint presentation for a, a Ted talk I was doing and a patch came up and said, we need to reboot your computer. So I had to make that decision. I'm in the flow. I'm creative, man. This is the best PowerPoint ever. Do I reboot? And I'm proud to say, no, I did not. I stayed risky, <laughs> risky for another couple hours, finished my presentation and patched then. Right. So, okay. So we've established so far, obviously we are susceptible. They are looking for us. We are the target as small business mm-hmm. owners. We've talked about various ways to mitigate that. You've talked about and, and emphasized the importance of having a cybersecurity insurance policy Backups, of course, are a given, always have been. Shifting to cloud-based services as much as possible, it makes sense. We've talked about some other tactics. If you do have to think, have to have things locally, you've made the big point about a lot of it is your policies and procedures so mm-hmm. that we curtail and manage these habits that we all can develop or have. Um, And then the other thing you talk a lot about, and we've touched on it, is having a disaster recovery plan. That plan, of course, I got to think is at the heart of it is call my cybersecurity insurance policy. But but what else do you usually help people make sure is part of that recovery plan that we haven't talked about? Yeah, so complexity means in a small business, we're not going to do it. So the the thing to remember is you got to make this simple. So uh, I take people through a process where you... You break your company down into six systems, and then you detail underneath each system all your business processes. So what you could do uh, right now is open up a spreadsheet and write down all your business processes. I got payroll. I've got you know accounts receivable, invoicing, boom, 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 boom. And then you put next to it the uh, software that supports it. To just, oh, yeah, I use email, I use this, I use this, I use this. And then I want three things you're going to do if that thing turns off. So with the payroll example, if for some reason your third-party provider that's cutting the checks uh, gets hacked and it's out of your control, but your people still need paid, you know, your disaster recovery plan says, all right, step one, build a list of everybody who needs to get a paycheck. Step two, write physical checks. Step three, deliver checks right? This does not have to be complex. And a matter of fact, if it is complex, uh, it's just not going to work. So I, yeah, I encourage people. use it either. Right? I mean, like exactly. Exactly. Uh, and, and it will never be perfect. One of the things that people tell themselves to prevent them from doing it is I can't plan for everything. So why should I even bother? Mm. Well, it turns out you're right. You cannot plan for everything, but let's say you did that planning for the payroll and then some other kind of thing went wrong. Maybe your account's payable. Well, you can now say, oh, you know what? I kind of already have the process set up to write checks to my people. It's pretty easy to take that process and now send it to some of the people I need to pay. So preparing for one thing makes you kind of ready for other things. And that's what you're looking for. I want you to plan ahead of time when you're not in a crisis versus making an emotional reaction when you're in the middle of a crisis. Yeah. Well said. Okay, Adam, is there is there anything I have not asked you about or a topic we have not discussed that you think is an important thing to talk about as it relates to cybercrime for small business owners? Anything we have not touched on or I didn't ask about? Yeah, I want to give the number one thing that I do to keep me safe. Um, now, remember, the number one thing that the, the get 70% of cyber attacks are directed at your employees and they are 75% likely to do the bad thing that the cyber criminals want them to do, such as click on that thing. 
I don't let anybody who works with me log into their computer as an administrator. Okay. We make sure you have a uh, account that has reduced rights, like it cannot install software, it cannot, you know, the list goes on and on. Um, and with Microsoft, it's really easy. There's only administrator and user. And if you're a user, you're not allowed to install software. Well, when you click on that thing or you open that PDF that has a virus hidden in it, what happens is it tries to install stuff on your computer. So you can remove the risk of people doing things maybe they shouldn't by making the computer unable to enact the pain that they're trying to inflict. Does that make sense? Absolutely makes sense. Yeah, I think that's a huge tip. Uh, yep. And that's, you know, as a small business owner, that's as easy as when I buy that PC or laptop or whatever, and I, and I set it up very easily. If it's Microsoft, I, I'm not familiar with with uh, Apple. I mean, it gives you that option when you first create it. You can create a user that is a user, not an admin, and that's what mm -hmm. they log in. They don't have the login for the admin. You'll keep that yourself because you'll need that if you need to work on that computer or install something. You might need a privilege to install, but but I think that's a huge tip. I, I've i never followed that because it's just easy to give everybody an admin password, right, or an admin Right. Account. Well, you're cutting down on, on tickets, right? You, you Correct. Every time you have to respond to something that it would be easier to empower them. So... So that's a wonderful point because at the end of the day, if the security measures prevent you from doing business effectively, you maybe don't do the security measure because at the end of the day, we need to be profitable, we need to be growing, and we need to be um, delivering our product and service in such a way that delights our customers. And you can overdo cybersecurity. Do not jeopardize your customer base or your ability to generate revenue because of some boogeyman cybersecurity thing. Be very intentional and smart about what you do. Yeah, great qualifier. Yeah. All right, summarize for us the services that uh, and products that you currently offer your clients. So my big passion is training at this point. So I deliver um, online training for business owners to understand some of the things we've talked about today. Uh, these take the, the form of maybe seven, eight module courses. It takes about two and a half hours to go through. Um, and you can get, you can find those over at elementsecuritygroup.com. I also do a service where we send fake phishing attacks to your employees. So we will send um, a couple a month attacks at your employees. If they click to download that Starbucks gift card, it sends them to a quick two-minute training video. So this way you have continuous training rather than, um, hey, let's get everybody in a room and we'll talk about social engineering for two hours and everyone will be really good for three weeks and then everyone's back to their own behaviors. Yeah. This is ongoing, constant training for only those who are the worst offenders. Yeah, that's brilliant. The online courses, that's geared towards whom? Is it someone with technical knowledge? Is it the typical business owner? Who is that for? It's the typical business owner. And the, the end goal is for you to build something called a business continuity plan and a disaster recovery plan. The reason those two things are very important is when you apply for cybersecurity insurance, those are going to be the first two things they ask if you have. And a business continuity plan is, hey, do you know how one part of your business affects another part of your business? And if you tweak something here, do you know how it impacts the thing over there? So this is all about business systems, processes, what kind of data you're using. It's the boring stuff that uh, your controller or your um, operational director can answer. This has nothing to do with cybersecurity policy. And then the disaster recovery plan is, like I said, just picking the three things that you're going to do to bring those back up. And so that's what the online course does, is it teaches you how to do all of that. So that way you have the ability to go shopping, right? One of the big risks we have is we're only educated by salespeople. And I, I love salespeople. I want them to hit quota. Uh, I just don't want them to get that off of me uh, if I don't need their product, right? Great. Fantastic. All right, we'll start to wrap things up here. What, what, what do you uh, enjoy or love most about what you're doing today? Well, um, I love my complete freedom of time. I love that I can pick in the middle of the day, have a conversation with you. Um, and 
in the middle of all that, I, I, I get to be on mission. For too long, selling cybersecurity has been all about fear. And I feel like what I'm doing now is selling hope. And it, that's a, just such a refreshing change. Because, I mean, that's, that's basically how the last 13 years have been, is go scare people, go scare people until they buy something. And now I get to provide wisdom so that we can remove fear and business owners make good decisions rather than write checks. And to me, yeah. I feel like that's important work. That's great. That's great. All right. Uh, book recommendation. Is there a book you've read recently or in the past that you would recommend? My, my favorite book is uh, Ready, Fire, Aim um, from zero to a hundred million in no time flat. And it is, uh, it covers the four stages of the uh, entrepreneurial journey from startup to midsize to uh, you're got it under management and now you're trying to scale. And the three things that you need to worry about in each one, it's just fantastic. As a matter of fact, um, I, I believe in giving back. So I mentor a lot of business owners. We do a lot of coaching. Uh, and now I have a rule. If you're starting a company and you want me to mentor you, you have got to read this book first. And this is your gate. Okay. So ready, fire, aim. Fantastic. Yeah, I love that. Uh, we'll have a link to that if you didn't get that on the show notes page as well as all of Adam's books at thehowofbusiness.com. Last two questions. What's one thing you want us to take away from this conversation about cybersecurity? You can win. This is, a, this is not a boogeyman. This is just another business system. I hate marketing. I have no idea how to do a click funnel. I hired a good person. They got it done. Uh, this is nothing to worry about. Just be intentional and take the steps that you need to take. Wonderful. Where would you like us to find you online? You could uh, find me on my YouTube channel at Adam Anderson CEO. Uh, LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter are all the same, Adam Anderson CEO. Or you can head over to elementsecuritygroup.com. Um, and I believe I'll send you a link that has the, uh, the tag on it. Um, and you can look at all the products and services there. But my, my main focus is on uh, having good conversations on social media because I really like to hear what people are thinking and doing. And websites are kind of uh, one-way communication sometimes. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. Good, excellent. We'll have all of those links as well on the show notes page. Just search for Adam Anderson on our website at thehowofbusiness.com. Got sidetracked there trying to kill a mosquito. Um, so, <laughs> Adam, this has been cyber. That was a threat there. Um, <laughs> This has been a great conversation. I've learned a lot. This is a tremendous topic. Uh, a lot of our listeners, I'm sure, have gotten a lot of good information from this. Uh, thanks for taking the time to share and to be with us today. Henry, I loved it. Thank you so much for letting me uh, share my message and to have a great conversation. Certainly. Folks, this is Henry Lopez. You've been listening to another episode of The How of Business. My guest again today was Adam Anderson. We release new episodes every Monday morning, and you can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, and at our website, thehowofbusiness.com. Thank you for listening to The How of Car Washing. For more information, links, and other resources, please visit thehowofcarwashing.com and leave us a comment if you have a topic you would like discussed. Thanks for listening, and we look forward to having you next time on The How of Car Washing.